verse 11 through 12. Dear friends, if God so loved us, then we also love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God resides in us, and his love is perfected in us. The third point that John makes is that Yahweh modeled love, so we must love. So not only has the believer to look like God by loving like God, not only has Jesus shown what love is and defined it through his actions, but Yahweh himself has modeled love by the fact that he gave up his son. That he subordinated his desire to be whole as a trinity and to be connected to the son and be willing to give up his son on our behalf. This becomes the incentive for us. That he first loved us. We, we, we know when people do things for us, when they give us money or when they save us from something or, or they're constantly there, we feel compelled to do so much for them, to be so thankful, to help them out in any kind of way. And what John is saying is, therefore, we should have the same response to the living eternal God. This is the point that Deuteronomy is making. The, the, the core of Deuteronomy's message when Moses is speaking to a generation that just died in the wilderness because <laughs> of their lack of love and their lack of knowing the Father as a Father of love and their unwillingness to give up power and control in order to know him. John then speaks in light of that generation has died to the next generation who has seen that example before them for many years. Did I say John? Moses. Moses is writing to them. And Moses makes this point over and over and over again, especially in the first four chapters, that God loves us and expects us to obey him in return. But he doesn't want you to obey him because you want a reward or that you're afraid of being punished, but because you ahava him. The Hebrew word is ahava, which means an emotional, intimate connection with him. You're not even doing it out of a sense of duty. There are two words for love in the Hebrew, chesed and ahava. And when Deuteronomy 6.4 says, love the Lord your God, it says, ahava the Lord your God with all your heart. Because chesed is that love that I give you that I expect nothing in return. I know that you're incapable of giving me in return, or I may never see you again. Now, you might think that God says, that's the kind of love I want, because he just said that's the kind of love he wants here, right? But in that particular place, Moses is writing for an experiential, emotional, intimate love, because what God wants is a relationship. He does want your self-sacrifice love. But you can sacrifice for people out of a sense of duty. But in Deuteronomy, God wants a relationship. An intimate relationship. I, I, I'm so blown away by this God who entered in my life and sacrificed himself and put up with all my crap and endured our rebellions and continued to love us and bless us that I can't help to want to return him and re- to love in return. And I feel this intimate connection, not just an emotional. Ahava is not just purely an emotion. It's an intimate, vulnerable, linking love. And that's what God wants. What he wants more than anything is a relationship. And it's that kind of relationship that leads me to then chesed. 
a self-sacrificial love where I expect nothing in return. And what God is saying is, I don't want you to just love me because you have to. Cain made a sacrifice because he had to. Because he was mostly just afraid of what God would do to him. And he proved it when he got jealous of the fact that Abel sacrificed because he ahava God and God ahava backed and Abel had something that Cain was envious of. But he didn't want to ahava. He just wanted to make God happy so he wouldn't get punished. And that's why John says, if you act like that, your father is Cain and your father is the devil. But only when you ahava that leads to chesed, that's when you're of the Father. Because he demonstrated it to us. And that's what we should pray for. That's what we should seek for. The beauty of this too, before God is anything, before God is all-powerful, all-present, before God is merciful, before God is just, God is love. And one of the reasons that the Trinity is absolutely essential is because without the Trinity, you can't have love in this kind of way. If God were a singular being, what would an intimate, connective, communal love look like? What would a dying-to-myself love look like? How do you demonstrate love when you're the only being in the entire universe? How is love an action? How is love a reciprocal thing? How is love an outward flow? God has to be triune for God to be love. Because you can't say, well, he is love. That's why he created us. Well, no, 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 no. Because now we are essential for God to become something, to be something. It's like, well, God is love, so he had to create us so he could love us. And now God is more complete in the fact that he's love because now he has some, no, 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 that doesn't work because now you no longer have a transcendent God. Now you have a God that's essentially connected to its creation in order to be something. And that's how the world uses God as love. It's very interesting. The world loves to say God is love. But then they deny the Trinity. And you're like, well, how does that work then? And that's why humanity has to be elevated up to an enlightened being or some ontologically pre-existent thing before it became human or something like that because you have to have something there. The Trinity is what allows love for God to be love. There's a mutual love that's going on between the three of them. So when God creates humans, it's not because he needs to create us in order to love us. He creates us because he is just love. And there's so much love to God that there's a whole creation that he wants to fill it with. Not because he needs it to be complete as God's love. Not because he needs us. Not because he's somehow lonely and empty without us. But because the Trinity just wants to pour out. They want to. Then that is what defines mercy. Justice peace, hope, an all-present God. That's what also defines an all-powerful God. A God is willing to enter into creation, limiting himself 
in order to sacrifice himself in order to love us. By its nature, the Trinity is where you actually can have love in its fullest sense. Now, that's not an ironclad silver bullet argument for proof of the Trinity, but it does kind of make it very clear that without the Trinity, it's really hard to say God is love. It's really hard to say God is love. So God's love for us is perfected only when it is reproduced in us as it may mean among us in Christian fellowship. So God's love becomes perfected in us when we outpour as well. To hold on to our love, to use it for ourselves, the willing unwillingness to give up power and control is not reflective of God because if God is triune and reciprocates the love within itself, then we are to reciprocate the love and um, to be reciprocal in our love with each other in the community. This is how love's God's love is perfected when we demonstrate it, when we pour it out. The love of God is displayed in his people is the strongest apologetic that God has in the world. The greatest argument for God is the way we treat each other, right? Jesus says, they will know that you belong to me by the way that you treat each other. What's interesting is he never says by the way that you love other people, by the way you treat each other. And we mentioned this before because we are the ones who are in Christ. We are the ones who have a common link through the Holy Spirit. We are the ones as a community who can demonstrate love in its fullest. Then the community can go out and outpour it on the non-believers. And once again, why would a non-believer want to join the community of believers when the community of believers can't even reflect the Trinity? They can't even reciprocate and give to each other and flow out in that kind of way. Any questions? Does this make sense? Because this, this, is, this is the core. This is the core. So the question is, we love each other. So what degree do we love the non-believers? The same level. Because remember... Christ died for us while we were still sinners. Even when we didn't even want him. Even when we, and we probably would have been there right with the Pharisees and everybody else, crucified him, he loved us. And I would say that's the same love that we give to the, the, the world. The same world. At the same time, there's this weird... Do not cast your pearls before swine. But I think that means like, it doesn't mean don't love them and don't sacrifice for them. But it says, I think the idea is that if they are not receiving the message, there are too many people in the world that are dying, that the harvest is ripe and ready for you to waste your time on someone who's not receiving it. I don't think it means don't love them sacrificially because they're not receiving it treat them like crap or whatever. And I think it's just saying, your time is limited. Your time is precious. You only have so many years on this planet to be effective for the gospel. So don't spend it constantly on someone who is just shaking their fist at you all the time. But at the same time, don't completely stop loving them because that love for them may be the thing that heaps the burning coals on their head and convicts them. So to that I would say, be led by the Spirit. 
Only the Spirit can guide you when it's time to shake the dirt off your feet and stop casting your spirit. And only the Spirit can say, hey, it's time to go back to them. They're ready. But yeah, John would say, give it to the same level to the world. The same level to the world. Verse 13. By this we know that we reside in God and He in us, and that He has given us His Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God resides in Him, and He in God. And if we come to know and to believe the love that God has in us, God is love, and the one who resides in love resides in God, and God resides in Him. John loves us like, if you reside in God, God resides in you. He loves us like, back and forth. The third point, oh, I already mentioned that. Here, in verses 13 through 16, John links love and the spirit and truth together. Love, and then over here, is the truth slash spirit. And these get linked together. And so not only do you have the love in you, because you belong to the Father, but that love is only possible by the Spirit that lives in you. So now John has made it clear that all members of the Trinity are involved. We know love by the fact that Christ died on the cross and sacrificed himself for you. But we also show ourselves to be of the Father because the Father modeled love to us. So therefore, when we act in a loving way, we show that we belong to him. But at the same time, the only way we can have this kind of love is if the truth is in us, and the truth is the Holy Spirit. And so the Father is the one who models love and adopts us. The Son is the one who shows us what love actually looks like and makes the adoption possible. And the Holy Spirit is what makes it possible for us to actually model and demonstrate that love ourselves. There is no way you can see this as not triune. If the only thing that is true, perfect love is the Father, then the fact that the only way you can know love is through the Son dying for you, and the fact that the only way you can love the fellow believers is the Holy Spirit in you, then to make them less than the Trinity is to have an inferior and less version of love in us. And yet that's not what John is calling us to. He's calling us the love that the Father has. A perfect love. And then he's saying that that can only be found in Christ and the Holy Spirit. Therefore, they have a perfect love. Therefore, they are God as well. Because only God is love. Does that kind of make sense? And he does not mention any other being in connection to that. And he does not degrade in any of these beings in connection to that. And it's very clear. So he's linking these two things, the truth which is the Spirit, with love. John is moving from the truth of who Jesus is as a God-man and died for his sins to recognizing that who Jesus is is a function of Yahweh having sent him out in love and that is made possible in us through the Holy Spirit. By this, verse 17, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because just as Jesus is, so also are we in his, this world. 
There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears punishment has been perfected, has not been perfected in love. Now John links love and confidence and belonging to Yahweh. We can now have confidence because that love is beginning to grow in us. Not perfect, but the Father models love by giving his Son. Jesus demonstrates and defines love by sacrificing his life. The Holy Spirit then enables us to be children of God and to have love. Therefore, that love that begins to grow in us that is not natural to us and begins to look more and more like Christ's love becomes a testimony to the fact that we belong to God. And so he's linking God's love with our confidence that we belong to him. Therefore, God's love becomes complete in us when we become more than just living for ourselves. When we pray the same prayer, every single time you pray, Dear God, I can't do this. Give me the ability. Not my will be done, but yours. Sometimes it's just, Dear God, help me. (laughs) Then you are showing that the Spirit is in you. The Spirit's in you. There is no fear in love. There is no fear in love. Now what does he mean by that? He goes on and defines it as punishment. The true believer does not love God because they're afraid of what he will do to them if they don't. The true believer does not adhere to the Mosaic commandments, the law, does not adhere to the definition of love as demonstrated by Christ because they're afraid of being punished if they don't. Remember, this is wisdom literature. So when you first came to Christ, you'd be like, oh, dang it, there's a big part of me who just didn't want to go to hell, right? And you're like, oh, was, was that love for God and that conversion then real? Yeah, because at least you wanted to come to him, right? And over time, you grow and you grow and you grow and you grow. And remember, John always puts this in the context of, yes, this is wisdom literature. This is the ultimate goal. This is what you're supposed to be striving for. Don't settle for less and think, oh, I'm saved. Therefore, I don't have to do anything more. I got into heaven. John's reminding you there is something that you should be striving for, something you should be attaining, something that you should be growing towards. But he also makes it clear that anyone who says that they're not without sin is a liar. But thank God that we have the blood of Christ who we can go to an advocate and be forgiven of our sins. And so for John, this is always in the context of walking in the light. Walking in light means pursuing obedience to God, not being content with just being saved, but I'm actually going to pursue obedience and become more and more sanctified over time because the bar is up there. But knowing that I can't do it, I don't try to work, work, work harder. I go to Christ and the blood. And so the same thing. I don't serve God because I'm afraid of him being punished. And though that might be in me, I constantly crucify that. I constantly submit that to him. I constantly repent of that so that it becomes less and less. And the more that I'm in Christ and the more that I'm in God, the more his love begins to dwell in us and the more that overrides fear. And I think that is the main idea. The main idea is the only way that you can overcome the fear of punishment is to be more and more in Christ. 
It's not just stop it. It's you allow yourself to be filled up with something else. You allow yourself to be filled with something else. And as you are in Christ, the love of God will grow more in you. And then the love is perfected in you. And punishment ceases to have a place to be. A fear of punishment. There's less and less room in your life for punishment, the fear of punishment to dwell. What John is really doing is he's addressing the improper desire of separating obedience and love from each other. He is literally contradicting the world by saying you cannot say love is love. You cannot say that love is just an emotional thing. You cannot say that love is just what I feel in the moment. You cannot define love as whatever feels good for me. But John is making it very clear that love and obedience are directly linked together. And they cannot be separated. Because anything else separated is dysfunctional. It's dysfunctional. And we've seen the dysfunctional fruit of a world who's bought into love as love. Because what they mean by that is love is love. If it feels good, it's love. If it makes me happy, it's love. If I enjoy it, it's love. If I'm tingling and turned on by it, it's love. But John doesn't say love is love. John says God is love. And he's the definition. He's the definition. And I don't say that to step on any political toes in any kind of way. I say that because that's what the Bible is teaching. And remember, a Bible that doesn't offend doesn't convict either. And, and I'm not saying, oh, how great art me. I'm saying I've been plenty convicted <laughs> over and over again as I read this. Even just teaching it again tonight, I'm feeling more and more convicted. Okay? Verse 20. If anyone says, I love God and yet hates his fellow Christian, he is a liar. Because the one who does not love his fellow Christian, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom has not, he has not seen. John is going back to that thing that he previously did in the first section, or the, the previous section, where he's basically saying... If you murder, then you are not of God. And if you hate your brother, you're not of God. And if you see your brother in need and do not help him, you're not of God. Now he's linking back into that concept. This is not a new idea, but he's linking it directly to the love of God in him and saying that's why the love of God is not in you. But now he's going to go one step further and say, because if you can't even love the thing that you see, and interact with that kind of love. How are you going to love the God that you cannot see and interact? We are intang we are tangible, concrete, five senses being. And anything outside of the five senses just makes us struggle. Concepts that are abstract are hard to grasp. Love praying to and having communion with an invisible God is a difficult struggle. And if you can't love with the Holy Spirit, 
the very people that are in front of you that are concrete and physical and a part of the five senses, then how in the world are you going to love the invisible God? The one that you have to move beyond the concrete and the abstract. Because this becomes the outward flesh. So when the Bible says, I will become the father to the fatherless, it means it is my people with the love of God inside of them who become fathers to those who have no fathers that becomes the physical manifestation or the physical enfleshing of who I am in the physical world. And they know the love of the Father by the fact that the Father is in them, loving them as a fatherless. And that's how they know. That's where God becomes perfected in us. is when we make the invisible visible. That is our job. Our job is to make the invisible visible to people. They will know that you belong to me by the way that you love each other and the way that you love them. And that should be your mantra in some kind of way. I am making the invisible visible. I am making God known. Not just through evangelism words, but through my actions. I forget who said it, but they said every time you share the gospel, wrap it in a sandwich. And every time you give someone a sandwich, wrap it in the gospel. That they are not separate. They cannot be separated from each other. The truth and love always go together truth and love always go together verse 21 in the commandment we have given have from him is this that the one who loves god should love his fellow christian two everyone who believes that jesus the christ has been fathered by god and everyone who loves the father loves the child fathered by him by this we know that we love the children of god whenever we love god and obey his commandments for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and this his and his commandments do not weigh us down, because everyone who has been fathered by God conquers the world. Here, John links love, faith, and obedience, and truth in Christ together. He links all these together now. And he goes right back to the fact that the one who loves is manifesting Jesus as the God-man. And only when you have the truth of the God-man in you can you truly love. And so he is linking love, love for the fellow believers that is self-sacrifice with faith, meaning the only way you can demonstrate that love is if you have your faith in the correct object, Christ, with obedience that we don't do it because it feels good, but because we're commanded and we, we obey because we love him. We're thankful, appreciative, with the truth that this is only made possible by the God-man. And all these things get drawn together. All these linkings come together. He dealt with all these one by one by one. He linked love and truth together, truth and the Holy Spirit, God and love and all these stuff. And now he crams them all together and says, this is the complete picture. That the only way you can truly be children of God is if love Faith, obedience, and truth are all linked and living and manifested in you for the fellow believer. For the fellow believer. And if that's not happening, then you fall down on your knees and you submit to the Holy Spirit and say, Dear God, help me. Help me become more like you. Not my will be done, but your will be done. 
And the more you do that, the more you grow. For John, it's all or nothing. 100% in everything is not possible in a fallen sinful world. But every puzzle piece should be there. Because without truth of who the Jesus is, how do you know what real love is? Without the God-man, the truth of the God-man, you have no definition for love. Without a faith that is completely dependent upon the Father and the Holy Spirit, how do you have love? If you're not compelled to obey God because He is your Master, the truth that He is God, then how do you have love? God is love. And it's perfected in you when you embrace the truth of who Christ is. Depend upon Him with your utter, total faith and trust. And you obey Him. And that's the only way that love can be manifested. And so our prayer is, help me become more like you. Not my will be done, but your will be done. Help me die to myself. Help me give up control. Help me trust that you will work out my good for me. And I don't have to worry about that. That's the hard one for me. As a perfectionist and a control person, it's more of the, but if I give this up, will it really truly work out for me? It is easy to have a kind of love to God which does not recognize the obligation to love one another. Such love for God falls short of being real love for Him since it fails to obey His commandments. It is easy to test our love for God. How committed are we to being completely obedient to His will? That is the measure of love. The more quickly you pray, not my will be done, but your will be done, that is the test of Christ in you. The longer it takes you, that is the test of how much sanctification you need. The believers are not to love others because Yahweh is love and we belong to Him. The believers are to love others because Yahweh is love and we belong to Him. This has been the message of Yahweh all throughout the First Testament. Deuteronomy 6, 4-9 through 9. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your life, and with all your everything. Leviticus 19.18 Love your neighbor as yourself. In the Second Testament, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, this is the great commandment, and this is the one like it and equal to it. If this is who Yahweh is, having demonstrated love through the sending of His Son to atone for our sins, then this is a necessary part of our life as we reflect Him and obedient loved as His children. Out of all the commandments that God gives us throughout the entire Bible, there is one commandment that is supreme above all others. And that is to demonstrate love. To be love. Because if that is the core of who God is, that is the core of what we are to manifest. And so here's the question. As you go through your life and you encounter people, the real question is, how willing am I to give up control and power? And the more I grasp power and control, that should be my prayer to become more like Christ. When I'm talking, is it because I need people to like me and I need something from it? When I'm arguing and debating, is it because I need to be right? When I want something done a certain way, 
Is it because I need to have it done my way? Now, yes, there is a time where it needs to be done your way because your way is right and it will benefit that person. But that's the question. Am I doing this because it's truly going to benefit them or am I just doing it because it has to be done my way? That's why Burger King makes a lot of money off of have it your way. Just do it. 